Today's Neuroscience, Tomorrow's History. An interview with Professor Terry Jones. Whereas today there are genuine medical physics courses you can go on to after you do your honours degree, which equip you to do to, to cover biological principles, etc. In, in the early 60s that wasn't the case. And I was fortunate enough to find an MSc course in Birmingham on radiation biology. So I was coming out of the University of Birmingham in 1964 with a Master of Science degree and also an honours degree in physics. And I wanted to go and live in London. That was the, the ambition. So putting two together, I wrote to three or four of the large London teaching hospitals, medical physics department, have you got a job for me? And um, Barts, Middlesex and Hammersmith. And I didn't know anything about these places other than looking up their, their prospectus in the library and saying, oh, that looks good. And I wrote, one guy I wrote to at the Hamster's Hospital was a guy called Professor Jack Fowler. And he was Professor of Medical Physics. It was a name I found. And he didn't have a job, but he passed my letter on. I had a very general inquiry letter, do you have an opening in medical physics type of things? And I've got a health physics background as well. Protection, radiation protection to the background. And he passed it on to the Medical Research Council Cyclotron Unit, which was just across the campus. And lo and behold, they had a vacancy for a health physicist. Because the lady there was taking maternity leave and I think she, was, she, she wasn't going to come back. And there was an opening. So I appeared just by chance at the opening for this job in 1964 um, at the MRC Cyclotron Unit. And it was the first hospital-based cyclotron in the world. In 1948, the MRC decided they would need to have a cyclotron in a hospital. Because just as after the war, and radioactivity was beginning to be used for peaceful uses, and also beams, radiation beams from the cyclotron, particularly neutron beam, was being used for radiotherapy. And they realized they didn't have, and there was a very brave act of a, of a bunch of scientists at the time who made the case to the MRC for a cyclotron in a hospital for, to research the effects of radiation on tissue, to develop short-lived radioactivity for clinical research uses, uh, and to develop uh, beams for radiotherapy. Very innovative, and they had to make it, it had to be home-built. So um, they employed a bunch of engineers who worked on Wormwood Scrubs, an old uh, ex-prisoner-of-war prison camp, putting together this home-built cyclotron. If we were going to make radioactive oxygen-15, uh, which you, you will discuss later, has been used for, for clinical research purposes, um, as the beam is extracted from the cyclotron, it then leaves the beam line through a very thin foil uh, into the atmosphere and then into a box which contains nitrogen gas, stable nitrogen, small amounts. And then when the, the beam of deuterons, in this case, hits the nitrogen, it transmutes them. It makes them radioactive. It changes them into oxygen-15, basically. Uh, the, 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 the particle enters the nucleus of the, the nitrogen, and then the result of that is oxygen-15. So it's a constant supply of oxygen-15. So if I'm doing a study 
in uh, adjacent laboratories at the Hammersmith, the cyclotron is constantly bombarding nitrogen gas and is then piped continuously to the lab in question. Because in this case, oxygen-15 has a radioactive half-life of only 2.1 minutes. So you make, you've got 100 units of oxygen after two minutes and you've got 50 left. So you have to have it really on tap. And this was the justification for the cyclotron actually being in the hospital to make isotopes which rapidly decay and couldn't be transported from Harvell or other nuclear centres. Mm -hmm.